0: Good afternoon. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, November 12th, 2021. This is KUAF. You can listen to us at any time for free at KUAF.com. Ahead this hour, John Jetter, the music director and conductor of the Ford Smith Symphony, talks about conducting the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra for a new CD of Florence Price Music.
1: And in fact, their their main concert hall where they uh, give concerts and rehearse is actually a recording studio.
0: That's in our second half hour. Arkansas's economy has weathered the COVID-19 pandemic better than most other states, according to Dr. Michael Paco, the chief economist for the Arkansas Economic Development Institute. Paco says that's because Arkansas didn't lock down as severely as other states and that the state benefited from more government transfer payments. However, Paco says he's anticipating a slowdown in consumer spending in 2022. Arkansas, along with Montana and Utah, the only three states that didn't experience a decline in consumer spending in 2020. Another day of small increases across the board when it comes to COVID-19 in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health reports 673 new cases in the last 24 hours, a net increase of 247 active cases, 22 additional deaths, and an increase of hospitalizations by three patients. Dr. Cam Patterson, the chancellor of the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, says he expects the numbers associated with the virus will grow in Arkansas.
1: I think we're concerned about what happens after Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, cold weather, plus people congregating from different parts of the country. Uh, it's not time for us to let down our guard yet.
0: As of midweek, he says, UAMS had only eight COVID-19 patients. That compares with 80 during the peak seen during the summer. There are no public school districts in Arkansas with a COVID-19 infection rate of 50 or more per 10,000. That's according to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. Dr. Joe Thompson, the CEO of ACI, says he's encouraged by the drop, but he's still worried about the decline in testing as well. Duke McLarty will lead the Northwest Arkansas Council's Workforce Housing Center. The council announced the Workforce Housing Center in March and officially announced McLarty's hiring yesterday. The center is designed to address affordable housing in northwest Arkansas. McLarty previously served as Director of Government Affairs and Community Relations for Air Communities, a real estate investment fund focused on the ownership and management of apartments in 17 states. The nationally ranked Arkansas Razorback soccer team will open NCAA tournament play tonight. In Fayetteville, Arkansas will host Northwestern State in the first round of the tournament tonight at 6.30. It's the first ever meeting between the two programs. Meanwhile, it's a matinee for the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team. It's their second game of the season, tipping off, well, right about now at Bud Walton Arena, Arkansas hosting the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. There is a freeze watch in effect for the entirety of the KUAF listening area tonight beginning at midnight. The freeze warning from the National Weather Service will last through Saturday morning. Temperatures could drop to as low as 27 degrees. You can keep up to date with news for our region and state every weekday morning at 530 and 730 with Daniel Carruth, Inside Morning Edition, on KUAF, your public radio station. <music> This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, we kind of had a busy week this week.
2: It, it's been an it's been an interesting week. Uh, it's one of those kind of a a newsy week, and then normally Kyle it kind of starts slowing down about now in terms of folks making news um, going into the holidays. But it wasn't slow this week.
0: Well, of course we've been talking on some level about redistricting for a while whether it was the four Arkansas congressional di- districts or the legislative districts and of course counties have to make their own redistricting based on the census. That's happening in Sebastian County. It's just that no one's going to tell us who made the map.
2: Yeah, the, it's um it's very interesting. Now all around the state, you know, the the all the data files from the census department have been like getting out to all the states. So Normally, this process is already complete
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, the counties and county clerks and we know city districts and school districts so we're running up against the deadline. There's a December first deadline, which well I say there is there's some <laughs> de- there's some debate about that but that that's a whole other story but um yeah, in Sebastian county, we had been um kind of getting tipped off that there was some um Folks working on drawing up the quorum court map, that's just as the piece. Those are the folks. They're they're essentially the legislature for a county. Um, but so the quorum court map in Sebastian County, um, we were told was was being drawn up by folks other than the Election Commission. And state law uh, requires that in every county, the Election Commission shall, that's what the language says, shall uh, be responsible for drawing up the maps. Uh, and I remember in the two thousand after the two two thousand ten census, they did draw up the map, and it was a open meeting, and all three members talked about it and um, had their input, and then um, had the maps drawn up. This ma- on, on um, Tuesday at Sebastian County Election Commission meeting, uh, Commission Chairman David Dameron kind of just pulled this map out and said, "I've worked on drawing up this map." Uh, and, and literally said, this is the map I worked on and drew up. And then Lee Webb, um, who's the Democrat member of the commission, Dameron is a, a Republican member on the commission. Lee Webb pretty much said, I, I don't believe you, you did make it in that map. I don't think you did draw it up. And to a large extent, Dameron would later say, yeah, you know what? Um, I didn't have the skills to to do this. And I had it, you know, I had it drawn up. Well, the bottom line I guess the, the point of all this is, we still and we're still working on it. We're doing some follow-up reporting. We can't get Mister Damon. Mister Damon walked away from us at the meeting. He wouldn't answer any questions from the media. Um, just literally turned his back on us and walked away as we were trying to ask him questions. Nobody will admit to who draw the drew up the map. Western Arkansas Planning and Development District had representatives there, and they admitted to us that we were given the files and we produced the map based on what we were given, but they didn't know who drew up, who drew the map. And so, um, uh, and the point is these maps are, so that the, again, going back to state law, the purpose of the election commission in the redistricting, redistricting process is to draw up the maps in a transparent manner. Well, it's not very transparent if you don't know who's drawn them up. So, Mr. Dab Mr. Dameron's got some explaining to do about where the maps are drawn, who drew them up. Uh, and we're even trying to get uh, Sebastian County prosecuting attorney Dan Shu to talk to us about what or if any um penalties might there be for violating hmm. the law on how the maps are drawn up. I I don't know if there is or isn't, or if it's just a slap on the wrist, don't do that again kind of thing. But um again, this is important. Some, some of your listeners may wonder why this matters. Who draws the map up? Well, it does matter. These are elected officials. This is a public governing board, uh, of a County with, uh, you know, uh, a hundred thousand folks or so, uh, in it. So, uh, and they, and they govern the County budget. So, um, we kind of like to know who draw, drew up the map, and we're going to keep trying to report on this, we find out. They have, another, they have another meeting November 17th, and we'll see if anyone wants to fess up.
0: You know, a couple things here. I understand that whatever remapping has to be done, congressional, state legislative, or even on a county, is not an easy job because you've got a, a host of things, items that you have to make an agreement. Population, make sure underrepresented voices are represented. But... But we're talking about control of legislative bodies, and that's why it's supposed to be in front of everybody.
2: One, one would think, you know, Lee Webb. There are two members of the. It's a three-person commission. Two members uh, represent Republican, are appointed by Republicans, and one by Democrat. It, it's based on how the elections come down. And Lee, the Democrat, Lee Webb, Mr. Webb, uh, the Democrat on commission, he he said flat out in our story, look. I know I'm going to get outvoted on the map. That's not the point. I just think that as a commissioner, we should have input like the law says. You know, We should talk about this in a meeting. Hmm. Uh, and Mr. Dameron took much to – I mean he said this with his own words. Um, he said, and I quote, I am not familiar enough with the law to know that we have to have a public meeting to draft the map. Hmm. You've been the election commissioner for many years. How, how, I mean, how do you not know what the law says about how you drop a map? I, I, I don't know. I, I've been doing in this business for close to 30 years now, and I, I, I shouldn't be surprised anymore about what I hear at some of these public meetings, but sometimes I am still surprised at what I hear at these public meetings.
0: Hmm. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one. Uh, the U.S. Marshals Museum, we've talked about uh, the museum often, and it has been, for various reasons at times, a struggle to raise money to get it fully operational and open. Some good news this week for the museum.
2: Yeah, good news. They um, they report uh, raising just under $9 million, $8.75 million since January 1st. It was part of a matching, you know, earlier this year they announced that they received a $5 million matching gift. Um, so they're working to match that. And look, let's hope, um, that this does, you know, they, they said earlier, before they announced they, uh, eight point seven five million eight point seven five million that if they could get 8 million of the roughly 12 plus million that they needed to raise, that they could start, um, building out the galleries and the exhibits and that kind of thing. You know, they, the, the building is, is complete, but it's a shell. And now they just need to get the exhibits in. And so that's why they need, that eight million or so. So ideally, and, and even uh, some of the one of the officials, and I, and I apologize for drawing a blank on who it was, even said something to the fact that the finish line is in sight, and that's good news, Kyle, because this has been frustrating, uh, for not only folks in Fort Smith, but for the Marshal Service folks around the country, because this is a national museum; it's not just a Fort Smith or Arkansas museum. And you know, it was announced in January two thousand seven. Um, so this is going on what 14, maybe 15 years before it opens. I don't think anyone, if you would have asked anyone back in January, 2007, this is going to take that long to build. Uh, I, I don't think people would have believed that it would take that long. So hopefully we are, as that one official said, hopefully we, we are nearing the finish line.
0: And speaking of building, there may, may be a new indoor sports facility in Fort Smith's uh, future. First got a, figure out whether it's
2: feasible. Yeah, and and uh, there's a little thing of an estimated $40 million price tag we got to figure out or somebody's got to figure out how to pay for. But yes, um the city of Fort Smith and the Fort Smith AMP um and the Arkansas Department of Tourism uh, helped uh fund this, but they've um uh, initiated a $30,000 feasibility study to see if an indoor sports facility uh, is worthwhile and I think a lot of people probably listening to your show, Kyle, know someone or have been involved in these traveling volleyball leagues or or wrestling tournaments, um, any number of you know traveling basketball, even pickleball now that's getting popular, uh, gymnastics, uh, dance and cheer events. Those things are growing. And I think there's even an appetite now that maybe um, folks can get out again, that there's some – uh, belief that, you know, the, the city or, you know, community region that has these facilities available, uh, may capture that, that, uh, desire by people to return to normal, whatever normal will look like. So that's what the city's looking at. But again, comes with a, a hefty price tag if it's done correctly. I mean, it'd be not only a large facility, but you'll need food courts, you'll need, you know, locker rooms. I mean, it's, um, some I've and I've been to some of these facilities, and they are huge, and you can tell that they are expensive. So it, uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, often cities or businesses, folks hire consultants to tell them what they want to hear. Um, the gentleman uh, that spoke to the force of directors, Bill Kruger, even said Tuesday, he said, "Look, I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you whether this is really feasible for a city your size." So. We'll see. We should know, Kyle. I think maybe by next February, maybe as late as March, uh, the recommendations, and and we'll see. But look, citizens of Fort Smith have have made it very clear re- in recent history they don't they're not going to support a prepared food tax, for example. Yeah. So, however it gets paid for, that that'll be. Um, the feasibility study is the easy part, how you pay for it. <laughs> That's going to be the hard
0: part. That's right. That's absolutely right. Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. You can read much more about all the topics we've discussed and much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, stay warm, and we'll talk again next Friday.
2: Hey, I look forward to it. Thank you, sir.
0: Jonathan Larson died just as his musical Rent
3: premiered to raves. Tick, Tick, Boom is a new movie about his life to get there.
2: That's kind of what the ticking is about for me and was about for Jonathan was this small amount of time that he was aware
4: he had on this earth. Stop the club.
3: Andrew Garfield plays Jonathan Larson, plus the latest on inflation, food bank shortages and much more, Saturday and weekend
0: edition from NPR News. Weekend edition tomorrow morning from 7 to 9 on KUAF 91.3. And you can listen to KUAF by just asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. The 9th annual Regional Veterans Day Parade at Chaffee Crossing in Fort Smith is tomorrow. There are events beginning at 9, including live music and comments. The parade will begin at noon. And following the parade until 2, more live music. The parade itself is at the Chaffee Crossing Historic District at 7313 Terry Street. Oh, and by the way, there will be free COVID-19 and influenza shots available. And more about the weekend ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large. Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, will give us her regular Friday rundown of what we can do over the next 48 hours. That's ahead on today's show.
3: The Fayetteville Public Library welcomes author Susan Orlean to the FBL's new event center Sunday, November 14th at 2 p.m. Susan will be discussing her 2018 bestseller, The Library Book. This event is free and open to the public. Registration is available online at f-a-y-l-i-b dot
0: This is Ozarks at Large, On yesterday's show, we heard from Alicia Smith, the Executive Director of the Ideals Institute at the University of Arkansas. The organization is offering diversity, equity, and inclusion training to 100 nonprofits across Arkansas. This effort is backed with support from the Walton Family Foundation and Walmart Foundation. We recently reached out to Joe Randall, Senior Program Officer for the Home Region Program at the Walton Family Foundation, and we asked him about the foundation's desire to support DEI training across Arkansas.
5: I I think this work uh, really reflects, again, that that sort of commitment to supporting the community and to becoming one of the most vibrant, inclusive ones in the nation and recognizing that that's a pretty bold vision and not without challenges. And so there's a lot of work uh, to be done. And we know that tough challenges can't be solved by any one organization. And so we believe in engaging and elevating voices of diverse local leaders who can share in that deep commitment uh, to our community uh, and that... A place where everyone can be welcome and thrive is, is essential to ensuring the long-term vibrancy of the region. So I think efforts like this uh, and the, the networks that are built through initiatives like this one are are really, really critical to, to the region's future.
0: And this is going to be part of, and let me see if I've got the, um, the infrastructure here right, this will fall under the true initiative
5: Exactly. So the TRUE initiative represents uh, a a number of different programs uh, that ultimately support this this, uh, ultimate goal of elevating the capacity uh, of the region's nonprofit organizations uh, to to ensure that this is a region where everyone is welcome and and can thrive. And so there will be a series of cohorts that will support 100 local nonprofit organizations from Benton and Washington counties over the course of of the two-year grant period.
0: Why is it so important? I mean, there are so many different elements in Northwest Arkansas that should and need to be concerned with the EI. What's, what's, what's unique or important about nonprofits being part of this uh, equation?
5: Well, I think, you know, to, to your, your point about this being important to a lot of organizations, we feel this is important to, to all organizations. And so this particular initiative, I think focuses on some of the unique needs uh, and, and dynamics of, of nonprofit organizations, and in particular, uh, of the community uh, that, that is experienced within the nonprofit community. So in addition to the trainings and tools uh, that this uh, program will provide for these organizations and their leaders, there's also the community that's built within the participants, and uh, those organizations having both a shared experience and a shared set of tools we're really excited about the potential of that to uh, to bring about new partnerships between and among those organizations to grow the partnerships that exist between some of those organizations, ultimately towards that 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 shared goal of of uh, a vibrant and inclusive
0: region. You mentioned the word tools a couple of times. What's what's an example of a tool that a nonprofit agency or organization can use to to increase uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the region or their organization? <laughs>
5: Well I think that that you know planning is really important and I think you know a lot of times when we talk about capacity building uh there's there's technical skills and training uh there's leadership development there's board development um, and I think all of these are are can be a part of of this work I think ultimately it really depends on the organization that every organization has its own journey towards this but ultimately that shared uh, commitment and recognition of that we're stronger when there are more of us and it is more divor- diverse voices at the table um, will manifest itself in terms of kind of the outcomes of some of these organizations being a little bit different because they may be at different places in that journey and doing different kinds of of,
0: of work. So what metrics can you use? What what benchmarks can you use to make sure that we, we as a region are being successful in this endeavor?
5: I think it's it's important, sort of broadly, to, to be listening. You know, the foundation engages in, in a number of, of community engagement processes, a number of research um, efforts where, where not just the, the individuals that make up these organizations uh, have the opportunity to, to share their experience and their perspective, but also, and, and perhaps more importantly, the communities they serve. Uh, many of the organizations here are closest to. Uh, the, the, the communities that have historically been marginalized or not supported in the same way. And so I think we rely very heavily on, on the partnership of organizations like these to, to let us know uh, uh, what uh, folks who are experienced in the region, where we can learn and where we can do better.
0: Have you heard from organizations? Yes, we are deeply committed to DEI. We, we want to, to do the right thing, but we just don't know how or where to start.
5: Absolutely, and we we definitely hear that, and I think we also hear. And this is, you know, one of the exciting things about this particular work uh, that it builds on uh, the 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 true Northwest Arkansas initiative. And so, a great place to go for uh, that that direct community voice are to those organizations that participated in the inaugural rounds, uh, and to get a sense of what the experience did for them, both in terms of. Uh, exactly, as you said, uh, taking organizations that have a commitment but don't know where to go from here, need help to, to identify that roadmap, but also need uh, platforms and opportunities where they can identify other organizations in the same position that they are, that they can also engage in peer-to-peer learning. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the cohort model that will be supported in this uh, uh, follow-up to TRUE um, builds on the successes and learnings from, uh, from the first round.
0: Joe Randall is Senior Program Officer for the home region of the Walton Family Foundation. We spoke with him recently via Zoom. And you can hear Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich report on the Ideals Institute at the University of Arkansas. They're carrying out much of the DEI work Joe and I talked about. You can hear that report by going to OzarksAtLarge.com. This is Ozarks Large. With me on the phone is Becca Martin-Brown, who is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, welcome back to the show.
6: It is my great hope that we will get to do this without a cacophony of little dogs.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll try our a, best.
6: We'll do our best. It's been a busy week in the neighborhood, and they're very excited. So <laughs> we have a takeout menu. One from column A, one from column B, and one from column C. It's been a while. It has,
0: but we're gearing. People have geared back up, apparently.
6: Oh yeah, have you seen the list of Christmas stuff?
0: No, no, I haven't.
6: Laura Hightower did a roundup for us that will run Sunday, and what's up in case y'all need it. And it was sixty inches long. Well, people are making up for you know. A lost... Making up for lost time. Yeah. Well, Column A is theater, and Fort Smith Little Theater is making up for lost time. Okay. This is their second show since they came back from their COVID-19 hiatus. And the show title is Parfumerie, which probably doesn't ring any bells.
0: It does not for me, no.
6: But the titles, The Shop Around the Corner from 1940... Or In you've the Good got Old mail. Summertime from 1949, or You've Got Mail yeah. when, from 1998, this is the play that it's based on.
0: Interesting.
6: Okay. It's actually, it was written by a playwright of Jewish-Hungarian descent who came to America just before his home country went to war. And it's about a perfume shop.
0: Not a bookstore.
6: Not a bookstore. Okay. But the same plot. Gotcha. So... If you would like to see what's going on on the Fort Smith Little Theater stage, show times are 7.30 tonight and tomorrow night, 2 o'clock on Sunday. That's their only matinee. And then again, the 17th through the 20th, tickets are $12. Or, because this is a choice, right, Mm -hmm. you can choose Tiny Beautiful Things at Theater Squared, which is on stage at 7.30 Tuesday through Saturday, 2 o'clock Saturday and Sunday through December 5th. Column B is film.
0: Oh, and you've got some choices.
6: It's Fayetteville Film Festival weekend, and you've got way more choices than we could possibly talk about here. There's an emerging filmmaker block. There's a documentary shorts block. There's a narrative shorts block. And then the Fayetteville Film Prize Award recognition and screening. This happens all day today and all day tomorrow tomorrow. And passes are $25 to $80. And you can find out more at Fayettevillefilmfest.org. And also your choice, which you can watch from home, is something called the Collective, a 10-part fashion film. Our writer described it as a fashion show moving photo shoot. It should be really fascinating. And it happens live streamed tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You'll get a stream key when you purchase your tickets. And you can go to interform. premiere to find out more about that. Exactly. And then column C is the Ozark Folk Festival. It's music, and Ozark Folk Festival in Eureka is one of your choices.
0: Seventy-fourth annual.
6: Seventy-four years young, and a ton of stuff going on. I think the update is that they're moving some of the Basin Park concerts indoors.
0: Yes, because of the forecast.
6: I believe they're moving into main stage.
0: Uh, That is correct. That is what I understand.
6: And you can find out more at Facebook Original Ozark Folk Festival. You can also choose Rain Performs the Best of Abbey Road Live.
0: Where's this taking place?
6: Tonight at the Walton Art Center. Oh, wow. Okay. Eight o'clock and tickets start at $11. And then also... Tomorrow, there's a big Veterans Day parade at noon at Chaffee Crossing in Fort Smith. Mm -hmm. And the day starts with a food festival at 9 a.m. and speeches and honors and then the parade. And this weekend, if you've driven out Mission Boulevard slash Arkansas 45 in Fayetteville, east of Fayetteville, and you've always wondered what that Little Rock Church was, Mm -hmm. this weekend you can go see it is the Holiday Quilt, Yarn, and Craft Fair. From 10 to 5 tomorrow and noon to 5 Sunday, the church is called Sun's Chapel. Named not for God, but for a family named Sun. Right. And you can find out all about it and buy some Christmas presents.
0: You know, Sun's Chapel used to be way out there 30 or 40 years ago. You <laughs> had to leave Fayetteville and drive. <laughs> now it's like,
6: oh, it's kind of on the edge of Fayetteville. It's kind it right there. Yeah. yeah we're old guys, so we can't help it. And come back Sunday to What's Up because there's 60 Inches of Christmas stuff. (laughs) And Christmas at Silver Dollar City was a new Broadway show. And I want to tell you, I've got a couple of
0: houses in my... I walk my dog in the morning. I've got a couple of houses in my neighborhood that have put up the tree, put up the lights. I say two thumbs up. I have no problem with this. Let's go.
6: We have not had the best two years of... Of our lives, of our, you know, in our age range. Right. Celebrate everything you can.
0: Exactly. I appreciate it. And I appreciate <laughs> you, Becca. She is the Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. She talks to us every Friday. Have a great weekend, Becca. You too. Have fun, guys. Walton Arts Center's 10 by
3: 10 Arts Series presents Cirque Mechanics Birdhouse Factory, Thursday, November 18th. Trapeze artists, contortionists, acrobats, and unicyclists emerge in an unexpected setting for a circus, a factory. When a bird is injured in the factory, the workers take action and the show takes flight. waltonartscenter.org or 443-5600 for
0: tickets. This is Ozarks at Large. One week from today, a new CD of music composed by Arkansas native Florence Price will be released by Noxos. John Jetter, the music director and conductor of the Fort Smith Symphony, conducts the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra for this new recording. John Jetter has conducted Price Before, both live and on record with the Fort Smith Symphony. Late last month, my interview partner, Leah Uribe, and I, Leah is an associate professor of bassoon at the University of Arkansas, talked with John Jetter about the new CD. Yeah,
1: I love performing, but there's just a very different dynamic in the studio. It's very... Uh, It's it's concentrated, people are concentrated in a performance, but it's kind of a, it's a different concentration. Maybe the reason I enjoy it so much is I'm ultimately uh, a little bit of a coward. And the nice thing about a recording is that if it doesn't work, you just do another take, right? (laughs) I I don't know, it's a real interesting, it's a different dynamic. I think we love playing for audiences, but we're kind of in there, maybe kind of for ourselves in a way, and I guess, Maybe what I like about it is there's a, ultimately, there's a concrete um, product at the end. And of course, we're all about performing, right? We're a musician. But you actually have this concrete product at the end. You know, it's the recording. And, uh, and it may be because I enjoy it so much because I grew up, you know, I like, like so many musicians, I had a huge record collection and CD collection so uh i've enjoyed it uh it it is a huge um team effort and i think uh the most important thing is when we when we're listening to recordings yes the artists of course it's you know we're the ones performing and but uh i don't think people understand what a significant role the producer has and the recording engineers have in the process
7: Uh, the first one was recorded with ford smith symphony and this one features the Vienna Radio, uh, Symphony. Uh, different set of musicians, different relationship uh, with the musicians, and knowledge uh, actually of the body of the orchestra. You've been working with Ford Smith for many years, and you know each one of the musicians very, very well. So can you can you speak on the difference in this process, and how it impacted the music?
1: Um, well, of course, uh, in Fort Smith, with all the recording or most of the recordings, we would have, uh, you know, I think pretty lengthy rehearsal time and then we perform it. And then we have the sessions over the next two days afterwards. And yes, you know, we all know each other and all that. Uh, the situation in Vienna is you, you know, the orchestra uh, is in, in this case, uh, it was the uh, Vienna Radio Symphony. So their job is performing concerts but also doing radio broadcasts and, and being recorded uh, for radio and in fact their their main concert hall where they uh, give concerts and rehearse is actually a recording studio. so it's all set up it's all a beautiful uh, uh, equipment and you know I think it, it, it you know this the sound is terrific there and they're used to they're excellent they're used to essentially you know you play the piece if you, you play it down, and then uh, it's like okay, uh, now the recording light goes on, and you start recording in segments. And uh, it was uh, you know they, they're very quick to uh, uh, for suggestions you can make. You know that they, they, you know they know what they're doing. So a lot of what's you know maybe a lot of things that you're worried about they are just you know automatically there. And uh, there's there's still plenty of time to um, make decisions make changes. But yeah, it was definitely a different atmosphere. Um, I just said there's time to make changes, but I guess maybe we're, there was a little bit more, we were on the clock. We didn't have all that rehearsal time. Maybe we didn't have as much time to say, well, can we try this and then try this and try this? It was more like, okay, let's let's do this. And, um, uh, and then there were things um, in this case There were some small things, especially like balance and all that, where we might say, well, I didn't quite hear, you know, the oboe or the bassoon. And uh, the recording engineer would say, well, that I can take care of. You know, we don't need to go back there. I can take care of that. And that's fine, you know. Um, But really, uh, you know, nice people. And uh, it was uh, uh, a different experience, but, you know, kind of the same. A lot more travel involved. And of course I had to do it, uh, it involved two trips. Um, one, starting the project, I flew. I flew there around the time that we started hearing about this thing called coronavirus. You know, this is in. You know, this is in what would be twenty. And uh, I got there as it was really becoming an issue. And we did some. We started recording, and then they said, "Well, you know, everything shut down." You know, good luck getting home. We'll see you another time. And that's basically I came home right when um, uh, there were the news stories about people like rushing home from Europe and when there was a huge wait in all the airports and all that. I just I just made it just before all that happened. And then we came back to do the rest um, uh, just this last April. and um, it, you know traveling during coronavirus was interesting. I was on a big seven eight seven Boeing seven eight seven with like thirty people on the plane. Uh, so it was very, and we were all masked for it, uh, not the winds, but, uh, so yeah, it was a very different experience, but excellent orchestra. And they know, you know, that you could say a few things and like, yeah, we got it.
0: So as, as Leah mentioned, it was a different, um, set of musicians, but you've, you're familiar with this composer. Does that help you going into a new project? One that's split apart by a global <laughs> pandemic with a new uh, set of musicians, but your familiarity with Florence Price, does that help you?
1: Well, yes. And it helped a lot, particularly like in, in uh, preparing the music and, and, you know, having the music and yes, you know, she has, uh, she has certain uh, characteristics, certain habits, uh, a few uh, 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 things that you notice May, yeah you, you're familiar with her language and uh there's things that you kind of will look at something and maybe you might have a question about either a chord or a question about how a, one passage relates to something that happens later and you go oh, well that's yeah that's that's her you know that's what she i know that from the fourth symphony or whatever and yeah you get very familiar with her style and there's all those uh uh blues chords in her music, you know, there's there's definitely that element, and there's sometimes some real quirky uh, chords in there, and um, compared to the first time exploring her music, it's like, oh yeah, I I, get, I know what that is. <laughs> you know, this is, or if there are note corrections, I know the orchestra a few times is like, I, that sounds weird, are you sure? It's like, yeah, and then we'd play it again, and then they'd say, oh, y- y- yes. Or, um, uh, in, in many cases, her manuscript is pretty neat and clear, but there's still, um, still anomalies sometimes. And actually, in the Mississippi River, they were probably, you know, I would say at least 40, 40, you know, printed errors in that music. And in Ethiopia's shadow, uh, there were quite a few also. And you just, um, you know, through familiarity and through a lot of proofreading, yeah, you because know, you want all that taken care of before the the, the sessions. That sometimes things will creep up.
0: It's on one hand so wonderful that Florence Price is being rediscovered, and and you know when I listen to uh, classical music stations uh, like KUAF two, the Classical Twenty Four service, they play a lot of her. It's great, but it also makes me just a little bit sad that there are probably so many other composers who were women or composers who were of color who didn't have the chance to share their works that have been lost forever. Do you think about that? Or or if they're not lost forever, they're pretty well hidden. I mean, there's this whole treasure trove, I'm afraid, of creativity that we just are unaware of.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay, Leah, do you want to go first?
7: Happily, I guess. Uh, I devote my life to think about those issues, Kyle. <laughs> and uh, lots of advocacy and, and conversations And uh, I guess I am not so concerned about the past, although I recognize that many voices have been uh, silenced because of systemic issues. But I'm more interested about, uh, you know, things that are happening in the moment, like the advocacy by Ford Smith Symphony Orchestra and John with Florence Price. And uh, I mean, in the Ecos and New York Philharmonic and Tania Leon and Gustavo Lame, Los uh, LA Philharmonic, and the commissioning projects uh, that included Angelica Negron, Gabriel Ortiz, and many other voices. So orchestras are really doing their part to bring women underrepresented identities to the forefront of these conversations. They are investing the money because as we were talking about earlier, this requires funding and advocacy at many levels. Uh, but uh, I, I see the change happening, and uh, I'm thankful that locally, uh, this is happening uh, in many of our uh, institutions and organizations, and uh, again, this is just a call for uh, all of us joining hands to continue doing this work.
1: Yeah, I think we're finally right. We're finally starting to see it. It's taken a long time, and I think also. Okay, so Leah, you're you know you're a, a university professor, so I think also universities. I think that's a, you know they also taught. I just, uh, um, I just, I was reading, we did a concert last week and we did a WC Handy piece. He's the father of the blues. And I read somewhere where he taught at a music conservatory like in the 1920s. And he's like, hey, why aren't we spending more time on American music? Why aren't we talking about, that's like a hundred years ago, right? And I, I hope that, you know, I think our musicians need to also start to be taught about all these other composers, right? And just that whole, it's interesting to see, you know, you know, Leah's right. This change—it's great. It's taken a long time, and we just really need to keep it going. And I think at the end of the day, audiences are saying, "Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I really like that piece." You know, for so long, orchestras were saying, "Oh, we can't play. We can't play all this new music, right? We can't play." So uh, it's it's a very exciting. And yes, Kyle, hopefully, a lot of these composers that you know were sort of lost. Uh, we can start to bring those back as well. So if you think about a big orchestra, look at their season maybe five years ago and say, okay, how many, how often was Mahler on the season or how often was Beethoven on the season? Maybe they could be there one time and then the other 12 times that Beethoven's on the season, you can start plugging in some other composers. And it's really about variety. I mean, you know, I think I think all of our best friends are the ones who like a lot of different kinds of food Right, and the ones who only like three things, like, eh, we, you know, we'll talk to you later. So it's this idea of having, uh, you know, you know, enjoying variety, and we seem to want it more. Like we have variety in everything now. You can get on, you can watch anything, any anything you want now on Netflix or whatever. We're about we're about variety, so it kind of makes sense that it's happening more in the concert hall. I think, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs>
7: I have a final question then, John. Uh, first, thank you so much for your advocacy and thank you for bringing these voices. This comes with taking a risk, right? Every time uh, an orchestra makes a decision like this, you, I, I don't know how much you knew how successful this project was going to be. And this actually started back uh, years ago with William Grant's still recording project. So your uh, you know, fight for diversity has been going on for a while. What are your plans for the future? What is Fort Smith bringing to the forefront? Um, in the, in the-
1: uh, Well, I mean, uh, for this year, we've tried, you know, our season opener, uh, we played a piece by Amy Beach, which was a lot of fun. And we did a regime. And also, uh, we have to, we, uh, since we're all talking locally, we have to recognize Eugene Kong, of course, for a really yes. very, very involved in with her violin concerto recording. You know, that was really the start of this re, you know, re uh, discovery. So we're trying to include, uh, we're doing music by uh, Joseph St. George a little later on in the season. Um, We're trying in our school visits, we're definitely including, uh, we are focusing a lot on William Grant Still and Florence Price Still, uh, because not only is there that great diversity question, but they have a a connection to Arkansas. Um, And um, not to, not. One thing I, I hope gets included in this interview is one of the things that I've learned, and it's part of this advocacy, is that if um, you think about American concert music and you think about American concert music by uh, uh, minority composers, you, you can think about, you know, Chicago or New York or whatever. But actually, Arkansas has Florence Prize, right? William Grant still. And we forget about Scott Joplin, who was raised in Texarkana. You have these three people. And and close by, we have some of the first Native American concert composers. So our region actually has quite a bit of uh, uh, classical music history. So we need need a bigger chapter in the history books. We need a chapter. We need at least a paragraph. (laughs) So uh, we're trying to promote that. So uh, I'm hoping that the Fourth Smith Symphony will uh, be able to do another recording project. I'm working really hard on it. And then I'm doing, uh, there is, there will be more Florence Price uh, with me going overseas. Uh, with There's plans for uh, another recording. So, and, you know, Noxos, without saying too much, Noxos, the recording label, they do like cycles. They like, you know, complete collections. So that's kind of, that's kind of where this is all headed. And it's really fun to do. I'm really. And then and and a shout out to them, uh, Noxos uh, Records, it's the largest label. And they like this sort of project. You know, how many times have you as a musician said, I wonder if there's a recording of so and so. It's probably on Noxos. Right. And uh, so they're great. And I really appreciate all their their advocacy and interest as well.
0: John Jetter is the music director and conductor of the Fort Smith Symphony, and he is the conductor for the soon-to-be-released CD of Florence Price's Symphony No. 3 in C minor, recorded with the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra for Noxos. The CD will be available on November 19th. It can be pre-ordered now through online music retailers. My interview partner for this session, who I always seem to turn into an interviewee by the end of our work together, Leah Uribe, associate professor of bassoon at the University of Arkansas, and the host and creator of a regular Thursday segment on Ozarks at Large, Sound Perimeter. Our conversation took place in late October via Zoom. Oh, and stay tuned, the next edition of the podcast, Reflections with Leah and Lee Wood, will be dropping very soon. We'll have more details about that on Mondays, Ozarks at Large. And here now, a preview of the upcoming CD of Florence Price Music, featuring John Jenner and the Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra, This Is A Bit of Symphony number no. 3. This is Ozarks at Large with me, Courtney Lanning, film critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Kyle. It's good not to be alone right now. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> because you are going to tell us about the reboot or the remake or the something of the classic Christmas film, Home Alone, that's streaming on Disney+. Plus.
4: I am. And Kyle, I don't know about you. It seems to me everybody has a Christmas movie or two or 20 that they like to pull out during December. And sure. Home Alone is mine. I, I always watch the first two every single Christmas season. Uh, and now we have a new one that is not up to snuff. What, what's the story with this one? Is it is it a remake? Is it... Help me out. So, I don't know what you want to call it continuity-wise, uh, because they did get Buzz, Kevin's older brother from the original Home Alone to play in this movie. And he talks about leaving his brother Kevin home alone. Oh, my god! So it it's set in Chicago. It exists in the same universe continuity. They got Buzz. He's a cop in this movie, by the way. And um, so, yeah, reboot, long-lost sequel, whatever you want to call it. It's some strange continuation. So is the, con- the concept the same? I mean, a child is left home? alone? Basically, yes. And it is improbable as it seemed in 1990 for this to occur. Uh, it's still happening in 2021. A child is left home alone. Uh, his family goes on vacation to Japan, of all places, not Florida, like they did, in home alone, or France, and the other home alone. Um, his family goes to Japan, and two people try to break into his house, and he... Does his best to massacre them. That's that's the home, home Alone formula. <laughs> all right, so we we know the plot. How do they do? How, how how did the filmmakers do? So I went into this expecting it to be nothing, just nothing good at all. And I I have to admit, while it's not a great movie, I appreciate that they they did they did their best. They put some effort into this. It's not a soulless effortless reboot. They really tried.
0: Well, okay, so Home Alone was incredibly popular at the box office. I think it it scored uh, very well with young uh, movie patrons, so maybe this is just an effort to say, hey,
4: eight, nine, ten-year-olds of now, here's your version. And it could very well be. I mean, they have some some good stars in this, like we talked about last week. Um, the The story is split just a little bit. They actually put a little less emphasis on the kid uh, whose name is Max in this one, and he's British for some reason. Uh, they put a little less emphasis on him because um, he's just not quite young Macaulay in caliber. Uh, and they put a little more too emphasis on the thieves who get a backstory and they, they humanize them. They're, the thieves in this one are parents who are about to lose their house or about to have to sell their house, rather, and move. Uh, and they, they're trying to find this doll that's worth a lot of money that they think the kid stole and took home. So they're they're trying to break into his house and find this doll so they could sell it and keep their family home. So they, they humanize the thieves a lot more than, than Harry and Marv in the original two.
0: Uh this is streaming on Disney Plus.
4: This is out on Disney Plus Friday.
0: Okay. Um so I wanna do something cheap like
4: saying maybe they should leave well enough
0: alone after
4: this home alone? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need any more. Um, I don't think this one needed to exist, but it's not the most offensive thing that I have reviewed on our show, Kyle. So what else, if anything, is out this week either
0: streaming or in theaters?
4: So in theaters, we have a live action adaptation of Clifford the Big Red Dog. I may be just a little bit old for
0: Clifford the Big Red Dog, but I thought Clifford the Big Red Dog was like gigantic, or is he oh, just yeah. like he's a, huge? Okay.
4: Um, and and I I grew up with the cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, and I know lots of other people did too. I loved the cartoon, and I have no idea how this one's going to go, but yeah, but kind of like the Scoop the Scooby Doo movies. He'll be CGI, and okay. he's got a live action world around him.
0: Okay. Very good. So Clifford the Big
4: Red Dog, do you have um, a target for a review next week? Next week, I would like to hopefully bring you a review of a movie called Black Friday, which is a, a new upcoming zombie apocalypse movie that's sort of set in a retail landscape.
0: <laughs> Perfect for <laughs> for shopping season.
4: Perfect timing for shopping season. We'll We'll see how that goes.
0: Courtney Lanning's review of, and is it just called Home Alone? I mean, it's not Home Alone again, or? It's called Home Sweet Home Alone. Well, there you go. Courtney Lanning's review of Home Sweet Home Alone can be seen in the Friday Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, even when they're movies that aren't the best, we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.
3: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable
0: Support Foundation. On Monday's Ozarks at Large, the Terrorism Research Center based at the University of Arkansas, is investigating radicalization and domestic violent extremism in the U.S. in order to block it. Plus, Prior Center archives take us back to the day Bill Clinton was first inaugurated as governor, and more. Monday, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3. On the next Fresh Air Weekend,
6: Andy McDowell talks about playing a woman with a mental health disorder in the new hit Netflix series, Made. McDowell's daughter, Margaret Qualley, plays her daughter in the series. Also, Gary Steingart discusses his Pandemic Project, a novel
0: about a group of friends who retreat to the country to escape COVID. Join us. Fresh Air Weekend with Terry Gross, tomorrow morning at 11 and Sunday evening at 6 on KUAF 91.3 and streaming for free at KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Elkins, listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. He'll be with you Sunday morning at 9, hosting Weekend Ozarks at Large. Contributors today included Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics, Becca Barton-Brown with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, my interviewing partner Leo Ribe and Courtney Lanning. Her full movie review can be found in today's Democrat Gazette. Additional content today came from the news team at KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock. Thank you for your contribution of time and attention. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams.